Testament, please, to the book of Jude, the second to the last book in the copy of the Word of God tonight, and I'm looking forward to what the Lord has for us. I don't take it lightly, as was also already said uh, by Pastor Rhines, to be able to preach in someone else's pulpit, to be asked to go somewhere and share the Word of God, that is a solemn duty, responsibility, humbling privilege. So it's an honor to be here with you tonight. Just a little bit about myself. Uh, I grew up in the great state of Montana, so I am not from around here. I uh, lived there for uh, until I was about 16 years of age, and so grew up doing all kinds of things out in God's great country out west. Love the west, and uh, when I was 16 years old, my dad got called to take a church in Pennsylvania, and so that was a transition time in my life. Difficult times, but God was in it, and I praise the Lord for it. The best place you could ever be, the happiest place, young person, that you'll ever be is in the center of God's will, wherever that is. And so follow the Lord's leading in your life. So God took us from Montana to Pennsylvania, had the privilege to finish out my high school years in Pennsylvania, and then from there I went to Bible College for a few years in Pennsylvania, uh, down near Downingtown, Pennsylvania, then traveled down to North Carolina finished out some Bible college down there, down south a little bit. So that was wonderful. And I drove through Virginia. My great experience with Virginia, uh, as I would drive back and forth from Bible college, was getting speeding tickets in the state of Virginia. Uh, they are so good at that. And, uh, I, you know, I should have learned my lesson not to be breaking the law. So uh, I learned my lesson. Uh, I'm thankful for Virginia police officers here tonight. Praise the Lord for that. Uh, what a blessing. But um, that's a little bit about myself. Uh, praise God for the privilege to be saved, to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Uh, I was saved 20 years old in Bible college, believe it or not. And I had to make sure that I really had the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. Not saying you can't be saved at 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. Uh, if you understand uh, the gospel, you can be saved at a young age. So praise God for that. I'm thankful my son Noah is here with me tonight. He is the oldest of my four children. I have a Noah, Karis, Eden, and Jonah, and then my wife, Bonnie. Thank God for them. I wouldn't be where I am if it wasn't for the Lord and my family. Praise God for a godly wife. And uh, she let me come down here tonight to preach the word of God to you tonight. So we're looking forward to what the Lord has for us. Uh, let's ask God's blessing upon this time as we get into the word of God. Heavenly Father, it's a privilege to stand before this group of young people today. There's so much potential here. Uh, so much that you want to do. These are arrows that belong to you that you want to hit your divine mark for their lives. We pray that they would be surrendered to the will of God, that they would seek after you with their whole heart, that they would be consecrated unto you, that they would not go after the things of the world, that they would truly know what they believe and be willing to fight for it even tonight. And uh, looking forward to your soon coming back. So we pray, Lord, that you would just open our understanding as we look at the word of God tonight. We give ourselves to you. I submit myself to you. And we just pray that your Holy Spirit would touch hearts tonight. And if there be some here that don't know Christ as their Savior, I pray that you work on their heart. May the Spirit of God convict them and show them that there is salvation only in Jesus Christ. And for those who uh, need to be more co convicted and more uh, sold out to be contending for you, I pray that you would just touch our hearts in a special way. And so we rely upon your Holy Spirit to work through us. And in this time now, uh, we give you ourselves and the time. We love you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can look this way. We're in the book of Jude this evening. And this is the second to the last book in the Old Testament. It's a small book, but we don't want to overlook its message because its message is a message for the last time. And I believe we're living in the last time 
uh, we've been living in the last time since the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ when he came. Uh, the Apostle John wrote in 1 John, now little to children, it is the last time. So even in the first century, young people, we've been living in the last time. We're living in the last days, and uh, this is not something to be discouraged about. It's something to be excited about. And uh, we're looking forward to the Lord Jesus Christ coming back. He's soon going to be coming back. And so what type of young people ought we to be uh, within the context of a local church? Uh, you should be saved, and we're each one, Lord willing, a member of a New Testament Bible-believing assembly, a local church. And the Apostle Jude here, the man Jude, the preacher Jude, writes to a local church, and he exhorts them and challenges them with some thoughts right here in this little book. We don't want to neglect it because it's so short, but sometimes it might get overlooked in there. But we want to open it up, and we want to find what the message is for us as a New Testament church member, in particular young people. Uh, God has a special message for each and every one of you as a young person. And uh, do you know we're saved not just to play around in the Christian life, young person, but we're saved to fight the battle. And it is a battle. There's a battle going on. And uh, Jude sees the necessity of this. It is essential. He writes this. This is something that's essential we need to pay attention to. There is a battle going on, and we need to be in the battle. We can't just sit back and relax in the Christian life. We are on a, we're in a battle zone. And it was already mentioned, we can have discouragement in the battle. The theme tonight is earnestly contending. And uh, we are to be earnestly contending. And uh, what are we contending for? You know, we're not contending just to be first in a race, uh, but we're fighting for the faith. It's a battle for the faith. Amen. And uh, we have enemies that we know about. And uh, let's look at Jude. I want to read uh, the passage of Scripture here, and then we'll get into it. But it says in verse number 1, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, Amazing truth here. James Jude identifies himself first as a servant of Jesus Christ. Do we know who this Jude is? Do you know he's the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ? And he doesn't use that as his title. He says, I'm not the half-brother of Jesus Christ. I'm simply a servant. And uh, this is a message for other servants. And uh, you and I, if we're going to be used by the Lord like Jude, we better have that mindset. We better have the mindset of a servant. Jude is a servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James. James also, uh, the, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is to whom he writes, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Great word, verse number three. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me. You catch that? It's needful. There might be some things that we wanted to do. Wouldn't it be just great to sit around and rejoice in our common salvation? And there's times for that. We're thankful for our salvation night. We bless the Lord. We worship him. We praise him that we're saved. We're forgiven. We're justified. We're redeemed. But something was very needful. And uh, Jude is going to point out they're in a battle. And it's necessary that I write this unto you, that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered for the saints. There is a battle going on, young person, and you need to wake up to that. I need to wake up to that and put on the spiritual armor and be ready to fight that battle. Be ready to defend the faith. The faith is under attack. And that's what this little epistle is about. It's only 25 verses long, but Jude begins to categorize the battle, describe the battle that's going on for a New Testament local church. And friend, that battle is going on in New Testament local churches today. And now you need, as a young person, to fight that battle, to be prepared to fight that battle. It's not just for the adults. Well, when, I'm, when I grow up, I'll get in the battle. You need to be in the fight now, young person. You need to fight for the faith now. Faith is under attack, and we need to be prepared to defend 
the faith. Are you prepared to defend the faith tonight? Uh, this is a great book because it's at the end of the book, the book, the word of God. And so we think about revelation and we think about the soon coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, the Bible says in the last days, perilous times shall come. Friend, perilous times are here. Uh, in the last times, it talks about how there'll be people that heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. People are going to give themselves unto fables and doctrines of devils, and they will turn away their ears from wanting to hear the truth. There is a battle going on for the faith, young person, and we need to stand up for the truth. I pray that we would do that. Jude points this out. So this is our theme tonight, earnestly contending. I guess I would ask a question. Are you contending for the faith? The battle is going on. Jude tells us there's a battle going on, raging for the faith. So are you as a young person contending, fighting for the faith? You recognize that. I have to fight for the faith. You have to fight for the faith. Uh, if we don't fight for the faith, the faith could be taken over. There's a very sobering verse that the Lord Jesus Christ says. He says in Luke, he says, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? Literally means, shall he find the faith on the earth? And that's talking, I know, at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, after the tribulation period. But I believe that the application could be made today. If the Lord Jesus Christ comes back for his saints, would he find the faith on the earth? Will he find this local church standing for the faith, fighting for the faith, contending for the faith, being faithful for the Lord Jesus Christ to come back? Amen. You know, part of our fighting is just being faithful to the Lord Amen. and just following his word and defending the attacks that come against the word of God tonight. We know our enemies tonight. We know that Satan is our enemy. The word of God says, be sober, be vigilant. For your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Satan's out after your life, young person. He wants to devour you so that you won't do anything for God. He'll devour you with discouragement. We heard it tonight. Doubt, difficulties, uh, whatever it might be, he'll, he'll try to devour your life. He wants to eat you up. We know we have the world, and Satan uses the world. Uh, what's in the world? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. How many young people get sucked into the world? And they no longer do something for God. The cares of this world come in and they choke the word of God. And it becomes unfruitful in the lives of young people. Materialism catches so many young people. And they go out seeking a great job and lots of finance. It's not wrong to work. It's not wrong to earn money. But that's not why we're here, young people. Uh, we can't get sidetracked from the will of God for our lives. The world is our enemy. The Bible says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Uh, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We're not to make friendship with the world. Uh, if we make friendship with the world, the Bible calls us an adulterer or an adulteress. That's strong language. Uh, we know the world is our enemy. We want to win the world of people to Jesus Christ, but we don't want to become like the world. Praise God. We've been delivered from this present evil world. We know Satan's our enemy. We know the world is our enemy. But a third enemy that we have, and that is us, our flesh. We have the old man with us. I know I have the old man. And uh, we have met the enemy, and they are us. The flesh needs to be conquered. Well, there's a battle. We need to earnestly contend for the faith. But Jude is not talking about Satan when he talks about this battle. He is not talking about the world. And I believe he's not necessarily talking about the flesh of ourselves. He's talking about the battle from within. There's going to come an attack on the faith from within. Within the assembly, within the local church. I want to show you that from the passage. Okay, let's look at it. Say, what are you talking about, Pastor David? Well, let's look at it. And again, this is a message for the end time. Look at verse 18, if you would. It says in verse 18, uh, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time. So he's talking about a last time message. 
So it's very timely. This is a relevant book for the days and age which we live the last time. But this is a battle from within. I want you to note it. Look at verse number four. It says, for there are certain men crept in unawares. Let me ask you a question. In what? Into what? Into the local assembly. He's talking about the local church. There are certain men crept in. They're creeping in. And I'm not trying to be too light tonight, but we have to watch out for creeps. Okay? Uh, they creep in. They creep into the assembly. And uh, so there's a battle that's going to come from within. Now, just follow this if you would. It says, crept in unawares. And uh, literally, that means to slip in or to sneak in stealthily. So they come into the assembly and they sit with other believers. They look like other believers, but they're not there for the same intent. They're not there for the same purpose. They've crept in unawares. People didn't realize it. And that's a heavy message, isn't it? It's a battle from within. Uh, look down, if you would, at verse number 12. And we see these, the battle from within, these creeps, if you please, in verse 12. These are spots in your feasts. So here they are, the, the church is holding their love feasts, and here these people are sitting in the feast. They're, they're with them. It says here, when they feast, what? What's it say? With you. So really, I believe the attack that is coming upon the faith is coming within the church. It's important that we realize there's a battle for the faith even within the context of the local church. We have to stand up for what we believe in the local church. Churches are under attack. And, uh, you know, this country is from attack. Not necessarily from without. We're not seeing nuclear weapons come in, but we're seeing uh, horrible immorality destroying us from the inside out. And the churches are usually imploded from the inside out. And this is what we have to watch out for. We have to earnestly contend for the faith. I believe we could bear that out in the whole context as Jude begins to talk about these people that have crept in unawares into the assembly. And they need to be guarded against and watched out for. So this is the fight from within, if you please. Satan wants to destroy the faith of this local church from the inside out. And my local church back home. And your local church back home, brother. We have to watch out for those attacks. Uh, we have to defend for the faith by knowing what we believe. You know, and I, I look at local churches today and I see that local churches are under attack. And uh, they're going down the road towards compromise very quick. They're going towards a casual, convenient Christianity that doesn't look like the faith once delivered to the saints. It doesn't look like a New Testament assembly in the book of Acts anymore. Uh, now it's just a comfortable, complacent, convenient type of careless Christianity. And it's happened from within. Now we're compromising and churches are looking just like the world. We dress like the world. The pastors come wearing their skinny jeans and they listen to their rock and roll contemporary Christian music. And uh, it's no different than the world. That's happened from within. Cleverly the attack of Satan, but he's working within the assembly. We must watch out for this. Judas talking about this in the last day, young person. How do we prevent this? How do we defend the faith as a young person? How can you be in the battle in your local church? Uh, how can we not compromise? How can we not water down doctrine? And uh, just go around and say we have a couple uh, catchy buzzwords. A doctrine does matter, young people. It matters what you believe. There's a battle out there. There's doctrines of devils in, the, in this day and age which we live. We better be willing to stand for the faith. You, many people say you can still live like the world. You know, that is not the same faith once delivered to the saints. Look at that verse, if you would, in verse number three. He says, for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. The faith is the whole body of truth given to those followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. The first local church there, if you please, with the disciples. And then passed down even to in churches in the book of Acts. And uh, we need to stand for the faith. 
I want to give you three needful exhortations. I won't be long with them tonight. But you as a young person, what can you do to contend for the faith? How can you fight the battle? Uh, how can we see strong, New Testament, authentic faith in local churches when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back? How can he find the faith on the earth in your local church and mine so that we don't see people creeping in unawares and uh, who cause the local church to go a different way and to compromise and not be pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ? How can we withstand that attack? Uh, will there be authentic faith when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back at his second coming? The first thought that you need tonight, just three simple truths. The first truth that we need is, number one, conversion. We need salvation. I believe this is the key issue here of these creeps who've crept in. Uh, first off, they just never really truly were saved. Uh, they never really repented and received the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. They never believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Their sins have never been washed away. Therefore, they're still an old man only, and they're living after their own lusts. I want to show you this. It's, it's true in the context. He says here, verse number four, just follow it for a minute if you would. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men, turning the grace of our, of the Lord, of our God into lasciviousness, denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. My friend, these are unbelievers. They, they've never trusted Christ as their Savior. They've crept in unawares. This is the problem. Uh, if you please uh, look down at verse number 19. Same context of these creeps who've crept in. These be they who separate themselves sensual, having not the Spirit. They never really were born again, never really received the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. So we have to watch out and make sure, young people, that we have conversion. Have we received the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior? Have we been saved? Uh, that is the greatest decision, the most important decision that you'll ever make. It's an eternal decision, knowing for sure that you're on your way to heaven. When did you come and trust Jesus Christ as your Savior? When did you call upon the Lord Jesus Christ in repentance and faith? And as Nithin was saying, your life was changed. When did that happen? You know, I'd say 20 for me. When was the day? March 30th, 2005, 3.30 in the afternoon. The same day George W. Bush came to visit Pennsylvania, and I got to see him. Got saved on the same day. Uh, praise God, you'll never forget that day. But we must have conversion if we're going to contend for the faith. Uh, note here what Jude says. Who is he addressed? Look at verse number one. He says, uh, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are what? Number one, sanctified. That is a perfect tense word, meaning to be made holy at one point in time. Perfect tense, meaning at any point in time, going forward, they're still going to be sanctified. It's a positional term. They're made holy in the Lord Jesus Christ. They have become a saint. When did that happen? The moment a person trusts their Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. Uh, he also says preserved. Isn't that a blessed term? We believe once saved, always saved, because the Bible teaches that. Preserved means to be kept. We don't keep ourselves saved, but Jesus Christ keeps ourselves saved. Praise God for that. To be kept, and it's a perfect tense word, meaning once kept, always kept, from always into the future kept. At any point in time you visit that, you're still per perfected in Christ Jesus, preserved in Christ Jesus. So praise God. I'm thankful that once saved, always saved. Amen. I was talking to my father on the way down here, and I'm telling him we're going through the worst traffic ever. Uh, this is a horrible traffic jam, and uh, it's just lasting longer and longer. He says, well, don't lose the joy of your salvation over it. And I said, well, if I lose it, I'll pray for Psalm 51. Lord, restore unto me the joy of my salvation when I get there. But praise God, I won't lose my salvation over it. Right? There's one thing you can never lose, and that is salvation in Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful for that. 
So he's talking to believers here. Isn't that a blessing? That's the key. They had conversion. Note the third word there. He says, preserved in Jesus Christ and called. The call for salvation goes out to every person. It's a universal call. But those who respond to the call become the called in Christ Jesus. I'm thankful to say I'm one of the called. Because I heard the call and responded to the call of salvation. Conversion is real. Sadly, these who crept in didn't get it. They didn't get it. Look here, if you would, there's three other words used in verse number three. What's he say? The first word in verse number three. Who can help me with that word? Beloved. 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 What does it mean? Loved of God. Beloved of God. In Ephesians 1, praise God, if you've trusted Christ, we're accepted in the beloved. Accepted in the beloved. I'm one of God's beloved children. Praise God for that. Uh, It also says this again, verse number 17, but beloved. And again, verse number 20, but ye beloved. So here we have these believers in the local church, and Jude is warning them, watch out, you better contend for the faith because there are certain men crept in unawares who don't have conversion. We need to make sure we have salvation. Have you been saved, young person? Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? I'm not trying to stir up doubt. If you got saved at a young age, praise God, you could be saved at a young age. Uh, I'm so thankful my children have, some of them have trusted Christ already. They've heard the gospel simply, and there's the childlike, simple faith of a child. To believe upon Jesus Christ. I rejoice in that tonight. But conversion. Uh, these creeps. It says in verse 19. They're separate. Sensual. And they also are spiritless. They don't have the spirit. My friend. The contrast is in verse number 20. To these in verse number 19. Who separate themselves. They stand aloof from true believers. Uh, they're sensual. Meaning they live just in sensuality lives. They live for their own lusts. They're not living after the spirit. And it says they're also spiritless. They have not the spirit. There's a contrast in verse 20. But ye beloved, you're the the believers. Praise God for that. Do we have conversion? Building up yourselves on your most holy faith. Number one tonight, what do we need to contend for the faith? We better have conversion. Got to have salvation. That's so important. Make sure you have salvation tonight. Have you been saved? Have you trusted Christ as your savior? I urge you tonight, get it settled if you don't have it, if you're not sure of it tonight. Uh, You can come and talk to any one of us, and we can show you from the Bible how you can receive Christ as your Savior. And you know what people will say around you? Uh, They'll say, praise the Lord. They'll give you a hug and say, I'm thankful that you didn't let pride uh, send you to hell. I remember getting baptized at 20 years old. My father hit my head on the the baptismal tank. It was incredible. I was so thankful, though. It was settled. Praise the Lord for that. Uh, The first thing we need is conversion. The second thing that we need is convictions. Convictions. Do you have convictions? Are you convicted about what you believe? Look at verse number three. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you, literally to admonish you, exhort you or admonish you what? That you should earnestly contend. Earnestly. That's a great word, earnestly. What does it mean? The word literally means to have a fervor or a zeal, a zealousness about you. A fire about you, a passion about you, uh, an intensity about you. Uh, In other words, you have to know what you believe. You have to be convicted about that. I see so many young people that are not convicted about anything. They don't have convictions or a a passion about the word of God. They don't have a love for truth. So they'll fall for anything because they don't stand for anything. Young person, you have to be convicted about the word of God. And so do I. Uh, The only way a person is going to fight for something is if they believe it. Okay, there's certain things that I believe that I have a conviction about that I'm willing to fight about. There are certain things that I have a true conviction about that I would die for. I'm thankful for our country. I'm thankful for soldiers who would give up their lives for our freedom. 
You know something? They have a conviction about freedom, and they're willing to fight for it. I pray that if someone was to come and attack my family, that I would have enough courage to fend that off, that attack. Why would I fend off an attack against my family? Because, number one, I love my family. Uh, if you love something, you're willing to defend it. And, young person, here is the problem. I believe young people haven't really caught a love for the truth. Therefore, the attack comes against the truth, and they're not willing to fight for it. Uh, you're not going to fight for something you don't love. What's it say in the Old Testament? Buy the truth, sell it not. Do you love the truth? Are you a lover of the truth, young person? So when the attack on truth comes, you have enough conviction to say, no, uh, I'm going to stand up for that. Are you a young person with convictions? Uh, if you have convictions, you're not going to be for sale. Just when people say, hey, let's go do this, you're going to say, no, that's not right. And I'm going to stand on the word of God. I'm willing to fight for that. You should have convictions as a young person. What are your convictions? I will or will not do this. I will or will not watch this. I will or will not wear this. I will or will not drink this. I will or will not have a tattoo placed on my arm. I, I mean, I have lots of young people that sit in the same place that you're sitting, and uh, they hear the same preaching that you're hearing, and then they go out, and they're living like the world. They're living like the devil. It's a sad thing. They never really were convicted. They never really bought the truth, so therefore they're for sale. They don't have any convictions. They're not earnest about spiritual things. I think of someone who was earnest about spiritual things, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. It said of him, the zeal of God's house had eaten him up. He went into God's house. It was supposed to be a house of prayer, and in there he sees the money changers in there buying and selling, and there was doves and everything laying around. And what did he do? He went in there and cleaned house. He threw over the table, said he made himself a whip. I know he wasn't out of control in his temper. Why? Because it said he took the time, so he knew, he knew exactly what he was doing. He was under control. I, that's one scene I want to see when I get to heaven. Okay? Uh, I want to see him drive out the money changers. I hope I get to see that on replay. But he made himself the whip, and then he went in there, and he drove them out, whipped them right out of the assembly. He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer, not a den of thieves. And then it says the disciples remembered this. They said they remembered the place in the scripture where it said, the zeal of my house hath eaten me up. Jesus Christ had convictions. Young person, if we're going to be like our Savior, we've got to have some zeal. We've got to have some convictions. Are you convicted tonight? Do you get earnest or passionate about anything about spiritual things? Do I? I pray that I do. Uh, only will I be able to fight for something if I have a conviction about it. Are you convicted about things in the Word of God? Where do I get my convictions? Right here, from the pages of this book. Okay, my convictions aren't based on my opinions or my feelings. My convictions are based on the precepts, the principles, and the promises of this book. Thus saith the Lord, and I'm willing to fight for that. Are you willing to fight for your convictions? Do you have convictions? You know, young people, we need young people that have some consecration. What is consecration? It means to have a whole heart. Do you seek after the Lord with your whole heart? Do you seek after this book with your whole heart? If you seek after this book and you seek the Lord with your whole heart, you won't have any problem having convictions. You won't want to live and look like the world. You'll want to look different, separated like the Lord Jesus Christ. Young person, are you consecrated? Do you have convictions? Young people I think about that had convictions were Daniel and his three friends. They were not for sale. The king says to them, if you don't bow down to the statue, you're going into the fiery furnace. And they said, well, we better not do that. We better just bow down. You know, let's just make an appearance. We'll bow down once. It won't be a problem. You know, what did they say? They said, oh, king, we are not careful to answer you in this. And they said, we're not going to bow down. And he threw them into the fiery furnace, and guess who showed up with him? The Lord Jesus Christ. He honored their convictions. 
Young person, if you have convictions and you're willing to fight for it, the Lord will honor you in that. And the battle will be won. You'll be rewarded for that in heaven. Be a faithful soldier. Be willing to be convicted about what you believe about the word of God. Fight for the truth. Stand up for the truth. Sadly, today in the United States of America and in local churches, guess what we believe we're seeing? The truth has fallen in the streets. In the next generation, I mean, we've, been, we've handed the shield, the, the, the belt of truth, if you would, the word of God to the next generation. And because we don't appreciate it, we're just dropping it in the street. It's like a banner, like a flag to march forward into battle. And the older generation, praise the Lord, our fathers, our forebears, have fought the battle and they've handed us the flag of truth. And because we've not fought for it, it's not become our own conviction. We're just dropping it. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. This happened in the days of the Old Testament. I wrote down a couple verses here that speak of Jer from Jeremiah about the truth. And I think this is the key. I ask a young person, do you love the truth? Are you a lover of the truth? And Jesus is the truth, the way, the truth, and life. And this book is the truth, John 17, 17. But it says in Jeremiah 5, 1, seek the truth. Seek the truth. It says in chapter 7, verse 28, truth is perished, cut off from the mouth. And this is speaking about God's people. It says in Jeremiah 9, 3, that they were not valiant for the truth. They weren't courageous to fight the battle. Uh, and that's because I don't, they didn't have convictions about it. They didn't love the truth. Are you convicted and courageous to fight the battle about the truth? Are you valiant for the truth? We need valiant young men. We need young men that won't just sit around and play video games, but are valiant about the word of God. You have a conviction about it, young person. Are you valiant for the truth? In Isaiah 59, verse 4, it says, plead for the truth. Plead for the truth. Uh, to plead for it. Do we actually plead for the truth? 59, 14. This is all in the same chapter. This is a sad verse. verse. Truth has fallen in the street. And in the United States of America, truth has fallen in the street. We're living in what's called a post-truth era. But I pray that we as believers would not be that way. We believe in the truth. We love the truth. We're going to live the truth. We're going to fight for the truth. When it says earnestly contend for the faith, once delivered to the saints, that's the truth. The whole body of the truth. Nothing else but the truth. Isaiah 59, 4, 15 says this, truth faileth. Truth faileth. I pray that wouldn't be true in our local churches. I pray that we'd have young people that have convictions. Do you have convictions that are not for sale, that you're willing to die for, that you're willing to tell your friends, no, I will not do that. And it can't just be because mommy and daddy told me so. No, because I love the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. I love the truth, and I will not do that. I don't want to grieve the Lord. Do you have convictions? Do you have conversion? Finally, the last thought will be through tonight. Are you willing to be contending for the faith? We need young people who will be a contender. You know, just like the Apostle Paul, he was willing to contend for the prize. And what was the prize? The prize is to be before the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, our Savior, to hear that, well done, thou good and faithful servant. To contend, to fight the battle. It literally means to agonize. Look at verse 3 again. He says, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints, for there are certain men crept in unawares. We just read right on there, knowing there's a battle in the local church, that we need to stand up in the local church and have convictions within our churches so our churches aren't changed from the inside out. And we need to contend within the context of our local church to fight for the faith once delivered to the saints. Sadly, our local churches don't look today like they used to back in New Testament times. Local churches are changing one right after the next. Their music is changing. You name it, the stand on the word of God is changing. We've got to get back to contending for the faith. Literally means to agonize. New Testament saints in Christ tonight, local church members are called to be warriors. You're called to be a soldier. You're called to fight the battle. 
doesn't matter if you're a young lady or young man. We're all New Testament saints called to be a warrior for truth. Uh, we are called to be committed young people. We're called to be consecrated young people. We're called to be courageous young people. To be convicted young people. Uh, not to be carnal, casual, complacent young people and compromising young people. That's the reality of it. I mean, just survey local churches. What do we see a lot of our young people? Just casual, complacent, uh, up for sale, compromising, doesn't matter. We got to get back to the truth. We're willing to be earnest about it, have some convictions, be courageous, be consecrated. And uh, if we are consecrated, uh, we're going to contend. We won't compromise. Uh, I want to note something here, if you please. It says here that you should earnestly contend for the faith. It's in a passive, which literally means this. It doesn't mean that I'm just going to go out and I'm going to start a fight. That's not what it means. Okay. It means to contend for the faith in a passive sense so that I'm willing to defend the faith when the fight comes. Okay. If you come after that, I'm going to fight for it. If you come to my house, don't do it at night because you won't leave uh, walking out. Okay. Because I will contend for my household. Uh, if you come attacking the faith, you're looking for a fight. Okay. Uh, and that should be in our New Testament local churches. We're willing to contend for the faith, not just to be contentious and go out and start back. But if we're the, the faith is under attack, we're going to fight for it because we have convictions. Are you willing to be a contender for the faith tonight? The churches are under attack. Mark it down. Your, your local church is under attack. So is mine. And we need to be able to contend for the faith. And we have to have courage to do that. Faith is under attack. It's the whole body of truth. Our doctrine is under attack. Paul said this. 1 Timothy 6.12, fight the good fight of faith. He also said this in 2 Timothy 4.7, I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. And they're the same words for contend here. There is the battle going on and we need to be willing to fight. Fight within the context of the local church. What are some things that we should contend for? I'm just going to briefly mention a few things just to take them with you tonight. Three thoughts, remember, the first was conversion, the second was convictions. What's the third one? Contending. We need to be contending. What should we contend for? I believe a few things. We should contend for the scriptures. Amen. We should contend for the scriptures. Uh, we should believe in the received text. We should believe in the inspiration of scripture. We should believe in preservation, that God has preserved his word even through the translation process, that we don't need modern versions that leave out the, the equivalent of First and Second Peter. Praise God, I'm going to fight for the scriptures because the battle is coming to us on that. And uh, even Satan himself hath, says, yea, hath God says, said. The fight is here on the scriptures. Are you willing to fight over the scriptures? Look at verse number 17, if you please. It says this, But, beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does he draw their attention to? The word of God. That is important in this fight. We better contend for the word of God. We better remember the scriptures. That's what's important. doesn't matter what I say, but it matters, Thus saith the Lord. And Jude says, You better remember the scriptures, beloved. Be willing to fight for the scriptures tonight. Let me ask you a question. What has been once delivered unto the saints? What has first been delivered unto us? The whole body of truth. Where do we find that? In the word of God. This has been delivered unto us. I'm thankful that we have received the word of God. I believe in the received Bible movement. Okay, We've received it directly from God. And we better contend for it. So don't give up the word of God. Don't give up your old great King James version of the Bible. Been preserved by the word of God, by faith. We trust in that. Thank God for that. Contend for the scriptures. Uh, don't settle for the higher criticism movement, if you please. Contend for the scriptures. Secondly, contend for sound doctrine. Look at verse number four. 
For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness, denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. They're denying Christology, the doctrine of who Jesus Christ is. Does doctrine matter? Is doctrine important? Should we just replace our doctrinal statements for a few catchy buzzwords and say we're missional? Okay. We better know what we believe about the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. Doctrine is important. We need to fight for doctrine. Sound doctrine is important, young people. It's important for you to know what you believe as a young person. You should know what you believe. What did Paul say to Timothy? He talked to him about sound doctrine. Be sound in the faith. Be strong in the faith. We don't want to be as children tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. That's a child. A child's blown about, doesn't know what he believes. But you are young people. You're the next generation of this local assembly and other local assemblies here. What do you believe? Are you able to defend the faith? Are you able to defend the doctrines of the word of God? We better be able to defend sound doctrine. Don't downplay it. What did it say of Jesus in Matthew 7, 28? And it came to pass when Jesus has ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his what? Doctrine. You know, Jesus Christ thought doctrine was important. I think we should too. Don't downplay it. Doctrine is important. We should fight for sound doctrine. We should also fight for salvation. Salvation is important. I see the marks of salvation all throughout this little epistle here. We see these who had it and those who didn't. And we should fight for real Bible salvation. It's important. It's not just praying a prayer, but it's heart dependence behind it. Heart dependence is so important. That is true saving faith. When I fully, with my whole heart, repent and depend upon the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. It's so important. Salvation is something that we fight for. I want to show you that separation is also something that we should fight for. Should we be separated? Should we be, look different than the world? Should we be godly or can we look like the ungodly? Let me tell you, these creeps, when they come in, guess what they are? They're ungodly. Ungodly men. But we should not be ungodly. We should be godly. Paul said to Timothy, exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Godliness hath great gain, having promise of the life that now is and also of the life that is to come. Are you a godly young person? We ought to be different than the ungodly. Look at these creeps, if you would. It says in verse 4, for there are certain men crept and unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. What? Ungodly men. Okay, ungodliness. Look down, if you would, at verse number, uh, go down to verse 14. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam. And these are prophesied all the way in the Old Testament that there would be these who creep in from Enoch. That's incredible to me. But he says here in verse 14 again, uh, Behold, the Lord cometh with 10,000 of his saints. So even Enoch believed in a second coming. (laughs) That's incredible. Uh, In verse 15, to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly. Catch that word. You see that? And it says, among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Do we get the point? We have the ungodly versus the godly. Uh, We should make a distinction or a difference between the saved and the unsaved, between the godly and the ungodly. Our churches should not look like ungodliness. Our churches should not look like the world. Our churches should not look sensual, but they should look spiritual. Uh, They should not look contemporary, but they should look Christ-like. There should be a distinction there, young person. Separation is important. We're separated unto Christ, not separated to live as unto the world. And I see that in verse 4, because what do these do? It says they're ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. Lasciviousness is unbridled lust. They're saying, I have the grace of God, the favor of God to live however I want. That's unbridled lust. No, we're, we're saved to live unto Christ. We're not saved to live unto ourselves. So we should be separated.
separated, live separate from the world. I believe in separation in the church. I believe separation in our personal lives. Uh, it's important. It's something that's not taught about. You should be separated, young person. Don't live like the world, look like the world, smell like the world. You get your name, okay? Uh, we need to be separated. Be different. Be Christ-like. Jesus Christ was separate from sinners, it says. He sat with them, yes, but he didn't look like them. He didn't laugh at the same jokes. He didn't drink the same drinks that they drunk, but he wanted to see them saved. I'm so thankful that Jesus is separate from sinners, but yet he saved sinners tonight. Praise God for that. Do you, do you believe in separation? We believe in spiritual churches rather than sensual churches. Uh, churches that move the heart, not the hips. Okay? With the music I'm talking about, all right? Uh, we believe in godly churches. Uh, these men here, and you could trace it all, and for sake of time, I'm not going to go through verse 4 all the way down to verse number 18 and talk about the different principles that are found in the lives of these ungodly creeps who've crept in. But they're carnal, they're complainers, they're skeptics, uh, they're also covetous. They have great condemnation that's going to come down upon them. And uh, so we need to make a distinction between these. I believe a final thing, and I'm closing with this tonight, that we should contend for, and this is by our daily living. How can we be a church and young people ready for the Lord Jesus Christ to come back and find the faith on the earth? I believe we need to get back to contending for sanctification. What is sanctification? Well, glad you asked. Look at verse number 19. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the spirit. Here it is in verse 20. But ye beloved, and he's going to talk about sanctification now. Because one day soon, Jesus Christ is going to come back. And we're going to stand before him, even as young people. And we're going to give an account. So what are some things that we could add to our Christian life here? And I'm just going to give them to you in one words as we go through. But he says here in verse number 20, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. So you should be building. Building on your faith. Keep on building. That's something to contend for by building yourself up in the faith. How do I do that? Be in the word of God. Be in God's house. Uh, be meditating on things that are from above. Get around friends that are godly where iron sharpens iron. Building up yourselves on your most holy faith. Add to your faith. So number one, keep on building. Keep on building, young people. Secondly, keep on praying. Building up yourselves on your most holy faith. Praying in the Holy Ghost. Keep on praying. Battle it out in prayer. We talked about pray, prayer being a victorious a soldier there in that song. Keep on praying and pray in the Holy Ghost. When the Holy Ghost brings something to mind to pray about, pray about it. Now, there's times that you'll be going along and you get an urge to pray for something. The Holy Ghost wants you to pray for someone. Uh, we need to keep on praying. Keep on building. Keep on praying. What else should we do? We should keep on loving. It says there again in verse number 21, keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep your affection not going to the things of the world, but young person, set your affection on things above and not on things of the earth where Christ sitteth on the right hand of the throne of God. Set your affection up there. Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and thieves break through and steal. Anybody ever been stolen from? That's one of the worst feelings ever. Someone broke into my car and stole all kinds of stuff. They stole my wonderful iPod. What a horrible thing. $250 loss for me. But you know what? That's not my treasure. Now, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and thieves don't break through and steal. Your Ford truck is rotting out down here, but my, that's not my love. My affection's in heaven. I'm so thankful for that tonight. Keep on building, keep on praying, keep on loving. Fourthly, we should keep on looking. What are we looking for? It says in verse 21, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And that's when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back for his own children, and he takes us home to be with him. Friend, we're not looking for the Antichrist, but we're looking for Jesus Christ to come back. Pretty soon, he's going to split the sky open and take the saints home to be with him. Keep on looking. 
Don't be looking at the White House, but be looking up to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to come, and it's going to solve the whole problem. I'm looking for the mercy that's going to come when Jesus Christ comes back. Keep on looking. Finally here, number five, we keep making. Keep making. What do you mean keep making? Look in verse number 22. And if some have compassion, making a difference. Literally means to make a distinction, to make a judgment between that which is right and wrong. Really, it's in the context of a local assembly. I should be making a difference in the assembly between right and wrong. And I should have compassion on other people in the assembly. And we can make a difference in people's lives by making a difference. Keep on making. We should also finally keep pulling. Keep pulling. Look, if you would, at verse number 23. It says, And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire hating the garment even spotted by the flesh. There are some, and this is in the context of the assembly, are going off the path, and they're getting into the place where they're going to be found in judgment, and I need to come along and pull them out of the fire. Pull them out of the fire. And then it says, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. We should also keep hating. Keep hating. That's a strong word, isn't it? But it's true. Uh, fight for sanctification by hating. And what do we hate? The filthy, defiled garments of the flesh. We should hate the devil. We should hate sin. We should hate its effects on people's lives. Note it said to hate the garment, not the one in the garment. Okay? So in other words, we don't hate the sinner. Okay? We love the sinner, but we hate the garments defiled by the flesh. Okay? I'm thankful to say I love those uh, who are involved in homosexuality. Okay? They can be saved. The Bible says, and such were some of you. It is ungodly for a pastor to call them ungodly names and to say that they should just go burn in hell. Uh, they should have the gospel preached to them, and their lives can be changed. Okay? Uh, it's so important that we hate the garment and not the one in the garment. We understand that. Keep on hating tonight. That's a pretty strong term. Pastor David said, go out keep on hating. Okay? We understand. Keep building. Keep praying. Keep loving. Keep looking. Keep making. Keep pulling. Keep hating. This is what the Lord talks about. And pretty soon, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come back. In verse 24, Jude closes with this great doxology. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. And believers, we need to be kept from falling by the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, uh, keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. It says to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and ever. Amen. Praise God for that doxology tonight. And Jesus can keep us from falling and he's able to present us faultless, 100% perfect. But we better do our part down here and earnestly contend for the faith. How can we do that? Number one, we've got to have conversion. Number two, you've got to have convictions. Number three, you've got to be willing to contend. You contend for what you love. You contend for what you believe. And you better contend for the word of God. You better contend for salvation. You better contend for sound doctrine. You better contend for separation. We better contend for sanctification even. And this is all in the context of the local church. The battle is from within, young person. Are you fighting the battle? Am I fighting the battle? Pray God will help us. And look forward to one day we're going to stand before Jesus Christ and give an account. And I pray that we'll have fought the fight, finished the course, and kept the faith. And defended the faith, right? Let's close with prayer. Father, I thank you for this time tonight. I thank you for the message from Jude on earnestly contending. And I pray that you would help me and help every other one of these young people, every one of these other adults in this room to be willing to fight for the faith and to be able to have a conviction from your word about what your word says. We fight for your word. And we pray, Lord, that we would fight a good fight before you. And be able to say, as Paul did at the end of his life, I've fought a good fight, I've finished my course, I've kept the faith. Father, we're trusting you by your Holy Spirit to have worked in hearts tonight. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to have Pastor Boots come and close as he sees fit here.
Amen. Go ahead and stand at your seat with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I told you we were going to have an invitation, and this, the time is now. Pastor Ryan's preached a message on discouragement, and I, I know he had a lot of other things that he talked about as well, but I think that's kind of the theme and the, the idea behind uh, what the devil is trying to do in your life. And Pastor David, a lot of things that he talked about. And, and I, I know we could get every single person to come forward th- th- tonight if I said, do you want to live for God? Do you want to you want to serve God with your life, then come forward. I'm not just trying to drag you down and, and make you kneel at an altar. But if God spoke to your heart tonight, that's exactly where you need to be. If there's something that, that, that uh, either one of these pastors said while they were preaching that God spoke to your heart about, then don't, don't wait. To, don't, don't put it off. Don't say, well, I'll take care of it when I get home tonight, or I'll, I'll, there'll, I'll be plenty of time to do that later, or you know what, that's a good idea. You need to settle it in your mind now. You need, to, you need to make a decision now. I'm going to get help from my discouragement. I'm going to stand up for what I know to be right. I'm going to fight against the worldliness. I know I'm, I'm going to, whatever it is that, that God spoke to your heart about tonight. And if only one person comes forward and that one person needs to be you, then it doesn't matter what everybody else does around you. If that one person that comes forward tonight needs to be you, then you need to be at an altar. And there might be others with you. But whether anybody comes or not, if the Holy Spirit's speaking to your heart, then you need to make that decision tonight for the Lord. And so as the piano plays, the invitation is open. You come if God's spoken to your heart tonight.